You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Do I have to follow that? (laughs) I see why you asked me to preach this week. No. On a serious note, um, I came up to Josh probably a couple months ago and said, brother, I got a specific word for the church that I would like to deliver. And um, Josh isn't like some pastors who are unwilling to share the pulpit. Josh, like you got a word, share it, brother. And so thank you, Josh, for, for letting me speak this special word this morning. Uh, girls, my dad loves that song y'all just sang, and my parents happen to be here this morning. Where are y'all? Raise your hand so I know where you are. I don't see you. Well, there you are. Okay. All right. I'll, uh, I'll know when to look away if need be. <laughs> um, also, uh, you know, Breeze usually gives birthdays, and I try to keep up with the birthdays for the youth, and, and I didn't get the birthdays this month from Breeze, but uh, Ariel came down and told me told me uh, this morning that today is her birthday, and so she was singing, and so y'all make sure, and uh, <clears throat> I'll, try to, I'll try to remember those birthdays as I, as I get them, but uh, for you country boys who, who opened up your bulletin this morning, and, and you read those words, go fish, that doesn't mean you can get up and leave now. If you remember, last time I preached, uh, I preached a message centered on evangelism that was titled, Everyone, Everywhere. After I preached, a, a church member came down and he gave me what I believe was a word from the Lord. You know, God definitely speaks through preachers. I hope he does. <laughs> but sometimes I hear him loudest through the words of a back row Baptist In the Old Testament, remember, God spoke through the mouth of a donkey. So don't ever underestimate God's ability to speak a word through you. And it will be just as powerful. And it will be from the Lord. So what did this member tell me? He came up and shook shook my hand. And he said that, that this church body, and I didn't really know the body, this body at that time, But he said that we couldn't go out there and care for others in the world until we cared for others in here. Now, if I took a poll this morning from from the church, I'm I'm assuming that probably 9 out of 10 of you would disagree with what the member told me and that you would tell me that this church does take care of its own. And I would definitely agree with you. But I don't think that this is what the member was saying to me that day. I think what this member was referencing is what I call a discipleship dilemma. More specifically, this is what I call a biblical relational discipleship dilemma. I'm going to unpack this idea because I know those are some big words. But first, let me just remind you that the member who gave me this word, he had just attended Sunday school. He had just attended worship service. Yet in his honesty, he was telling me that those ministries that were provided to him were not enough. 
And I promise you, this, this guy was not looking for a handout. He wasn't looking for money or an act of service. I feel that this man, he was and is still in search of what De uh, Dr. Gary Chapman calls the love language of quality time. Quality time. So before I unwrap the idea of biblical relational discipleship, let me begin by saying I'm a fan of both the worship service and the Sunday school. Uh, if you look at your handout and you open up in the, in the bulletin there, you'll see the worship service, small group, or Sunday school, and the idea that I'm about to unpack in the third picture called the D group. Now, both the worship service and Sunday school, those first two pictures, both contain an element of discipleship. I know firsthand that Sunday school class members do both care for one another in their class and for others outside their class. They demonstrate that by their financial concern for others, and I know they've uh, given to the youth since I've been here and take care of others that need help. So that's not the question. Remember, the member that I'm telling you about, he, he went to Sunday school. What he was really saying was that the care provided by Sunday school, the care wasn't enough for him. And believe it or not, it is this point, at this point that I agree with this member. And here's why. Because the worship service and Sunday school, the Sunday school hour, were never designed to fill all of a person's spiritual needs. That's not how they were designed. People do need more than the worship service and Sunday school can provide. See, worship services are designed for the crowd. That's why everybody's here this morning. Sunday school's just a starting block. Sunday school offers basic Bible teaching at a foundational level. It just scratches the surface. All believers do need to go deeper in the Word and deeper into each other's lives than they can or than a worship service or Sunday school can provide. See, I personally believe every believer needs, needs uh, an even smaller group of people who will do just that. Go, go deeper in their personal Bible study with one another. Deeper in their Christian walk with one another. This smaller group's a core within a core, and it's been around Baptist life for ages. It's called a discipleship group. And generally, only 25% of someone's Sunday school class will join into a separate weekly meeting called a discipleship group. Discipleship groups or D groups are groups that offer a lot of flexibility. They may or they may not meet at church. Uh, they might be offered on a church day or church night. They might not. Uh, for example, a discipleship group might meet on Tuesday night in someone's home. So Sunday school classes and discipleship groups are definitely not the same. Sunday school classes are open to everyone, and we do need both. Sunday school classes are mixed, meaning both men and women can attend the same class. The original purpose behind Sunday school was what we call evangelism. Josh has already talked about that a couple of weeks ago. What we call reaching the lost. That was the original design behind Sunday school. If you go back to the founding in the 1800s, Robert Rakes, it may be a name some of you are familiar with, Arthur Flake. See, it was never, Sunday school was never meant to be inward focused or to become about teaching and fellowship alone. 
No, it was originally designed to be about evangelism. So if your classes are focused on reaching the lost, reaching the unchurched, bringing them in for a basic foundational Bible teaching, then great. That's what Sunday school is about. Uh, but discipleship groups are different. D groups, they're for believers only. They're closed groups. They only meet for one year and no longer than a year and a half. They're gender exclusive, meaning men meet with uh, men and women meet with women. In D groups, you not only memorize scripture and are held accountable, you also learn about the life issues that people are struggling with, and those issues need to be kept in confidence. You learn about people's struggles with particular sins. And you'll pray intimately and out loud for one another. You see, people in their D groups would never share in their Sunday school groups, in their Sunday school classes, what they share with their smaller D groups. This is why the D group leaders often have their group of three to five students sign a group covenant before the group begins. Yet another difference between Sunday school and D groups are that whereas Sunday school classes can multiply, D groups must multiply. They have to. At week one, very first meeting, D group meeting, D group leaders tell their students they will be starting their own D group in, in once the group finishes in a year, year and a half. They will be starting a group of their own. See, this reproduction or replication is not an option in a D group. Like Jesus' perspective, D group leaders enter into prayer before they invite and select who their members will be. And once D groups begin, it's important for each student to start off by sharing his or her life story, his or her testimony about how they came to know Christ. Every week, D group members meet to talk about the highs and lows of their week. We go through some tough stuff, don't we? But we also go through some good stuff, and we share those things. See, there's a deeper level of care being provided than in your typical Sunday school class. That's because discipleship is meant to be intimate. Jesus spent time with his boys. And because it's ministry, discipleship is also messy. Now just think about how rough and uh, around the edges that Jesus' disciples were. Just think about Peter alone. He was foul-mouthed and swashbuckling, you know, cut off a guy's ear. Jesus had to spend a lot of time with him and them. So our verse this morning is only one verse, Matthew 4, 19. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. See, Peter and Andrew were out casting the net. They were beside the Sea of Galilee. They, these were the, the, first, uh, two, the, the two first century fishermen that Jesus encountered. And he gave them a specific invitation. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But I believe that invitation also is a general invitation to you and I. He asks us us to be his followers, doesn't he? To be his disciples. So that we'll go out and do the same thing and fish for men. Simply put, a disciple is a person who's following Christ, being changed by Christ, and is committed to the mission of Christ. Disciples follow Christ and they follow his mission with everything that they are, 
with their heart, their hands, and their head. Everything. They're fully devoted, they're fully surrendered to Jesus and his mission. Remember what his mission was? Go out and make disciples. <laughs> Unfortunately, what we're finding out in Baptist life is that many believers have considered baptism the finish line and not the starting line. But discipleship, that's not how it works. Discipleship doesn't end when you get dunked in water. See, you weren't just saved from sin, right? You were saved for sanctification, for holiness. You were saved for something. Less than half of believers who've been baptized engage daily with the Word of God. Yet research shows that the more one engages with the Bible, the more they serve, the more they give, and the more they go. They go and make disciples. So if you're not reading the Bible, that's, that's akin to drawing water from an empty well. I recently read this book in, entitled Building the Body. And it interweaves the topics of discipleship with the topics of church, church health. And the, the book begins by making a delineation between a healthy church and a fit church. Now on the surface, it sounds like those two concepts are the same. But have you ever met somebody who looks like they could run a marathon, yet they struggle to get to their mailbox and back? <laughs> You're, you know anybody like that? Uh, you know, I used to teach PE, and I know we have a PE teacher in here. And I had many students in my PE classes that if I just asked them to run a couple laps, it was like they were going to die. I mean, <laughs> but they looked healthy. They, 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 they looked like they could run for days. This lack of physical activity is a real problem in the next generation. Dr. Tim, Tim Elmore, he recently noted that Generation Y has a growing problem with obesity, while Generation Z has a gigantic problem with obesity. Video games probably factor into that. Just so you know, I, I'm not pointing fingers up here. Uh, I recently played a uh, basketball game against Ethan and Jared, and I almost passed out. <laughs> That's not healthy. <laughs> what I'm saying is churches can be the same way, believe it or not. They can appear healthy on the outside, but once you diagnose the church, it may be found that they are or are not fit. Uh, Gary McIntosh and, and Phil Stevenson, who wrote the book I, I described, They've labeled five different types of fit churches, and they've identified a fifth-level church as an elite church. Now, I want to describe that term, elite. If you've, if you watched, how many of you watched University of Georgia play football game this year? Not the game against Texas. <laughs> okay, all the hands went down. <laughs> that was not an elite game. But Georgia, Georgia had a very good season. And... Their um, quarterback, offensive line, and secondary were elite, really, during the season. Not against Texas, but during the season. That's the highest level. That's elite. So McIntosh and Stevenson say, elite churches are multiplying disciple-making into the third and fourth generations. These churches define effectiveness according to how many are, making, are multiplying disciples not merely how many are being made. See, see the difference? 
You're not truly making disciples until the disciples you make are making disciples themselves who make disciples. Discipleship experts Jim Putnam and Bobby Harrington say, "The, the solution to our ineffectiveness as churches involves following a clear and uncomplicated way to train people to be spiritually mature, fully devoted followers of Christ, then in turn having those disciples make more disciples. Putnam and Harrington would say it is the pastor's job to create a disciple-making system in his church where disciples are being made. And I think that that is very important because making disciples is, is the one thing that Jesus commissioned, not suggested, but commanded us to do. I mean, we can mess up in a lot of other areas, and, and we do. <laughs> but let's make sure we're doing the one thing he told us to do. That's where discipleship groups come into play. So so here's the thing. Disciple making involves both evangelism and discipleship. If all you do is evangelize, you go catch the men, but you don't disciple Again, you're doing nothing nothing more than, than filling up a bucket of water with holes in it. We're losing them, aren't we? They're dropping out if we forget discipleship. See, if you do evangelism without discipleship, you'll, you'll feel like you're in a canoe going up a creek without a paddle. Don't want to be in that situation. Reason being is evangelism represents one oar and discipleship is the other oar. And if you take one oar out of the boat and you only go in one direction... Guess what's going to happen? You're going to be going in circles. Now you need two oars. This is why Jesus issued his original call in the sequence of follow me, discipleship, follow me, come on, get behind me, and I will make you into fishers of men, evangelism. This discipleship pathway is a cycle that continually reproduces itself in the life of the church. Remember, Sunday school is to be oriented toward evangelism and D groups are to be oriented toward discipleship. You see that Jesus in Matthew chapter 14 is feeding a crowd of 5,000. And then a little bit later in Acts chapter 1, you see this congregation of 120 people gathered for worship from all the nations. And then you turn the page and you, and you see a community of 12 disciples throughout the, the Gospels. But the core, the core was only made up of three. And their names were Peter, James, and John. So stay, stay with me here. We already have a congregation, right? A crowd that gathers every Sunday in worship service. We already have a community that gathers each week in Sunday school. What we're missing and what we all need in our lives is a core. 
When Jesus says, follow me, he is literally telling us to come, take a walk with me. That's because discipleship is about a process. It's about a pathway. It's not just about a point or a destination. Yeah, we're going to heaven, but, but there's a journey to get there. And the discipleship pathway at Mount Carmel should be as easy to understand as one, two, three, as this picture. One, attend worship service. Two, attend Sunday school. And three, attend a D group or discipleship group. So I want to stop there and I, and I want to follow Jesus and I want to emulate him and I, and, I, and I think he would do this if he were here today. And I want to issue a call to you similar to the call that, that Jesus issued to his disciples. And, and this is for all ages. This is for teenagers and adults. There's a, another discipleship expert. He says, we want every age on the same page when it comes to discipleship. And this, is, this call is for all genders, male and female. And so here's the call. If you're faithfully attending Sunday school, no matter your age, no matter your gender, and you want to start a discipleship group, this is something new. You want to start a group from within your Sunday school class, I want you to come and see me. Come, come and talk to me. That's what Jesus, Jesus did. If you do want to start that group, our Sunday school director's right there. I'll go talk with her. I'll talk with your Sunday school teacher. And we'll see if we can't begin a core discipleship group within your Sunday school class. Again, this has been going on for, in Baptist life for ages. So that's the call. Now, let's get back to evangelism, because remember, you can't do one without the other. When Jesus says that he's going to make you into fishers of men, you're not going to be sitting still. You're going to be on the move. You ever fish the shoreline? I enjoy fishing, but in order for me to, uh, to, to go, I have to leave my house. I have to get up and move. I don't have a pond in my backyard, but if I want to go fishing, I, I've got to take time to prepare my tackle. I've got to go out and buy some bait. And then I've got to figure out where the best place to fish is. And then once I finally get to my destination, I've got to determine the best strategy for catching, that, catching those fish. And usually that strategy, that strategy only happens as I am fishing. That's how it works when you're going out to catch men. It's the same thing. You've got to look around. You've got to ask yourself, where, is, where the harvest is ripe? Once you determine the location, you can try different fishing methods to see which is most effective. But the key in all this is remembering is Jesus who is making you into the fisher of men or women that you desire and that he wants you to be. As your captain, Jesus is going to guide you. At times, you may want to fish from the shore. But at other times, he may ask you, as he did his own disciples, to launch out into the deep. And when you launch out into the deep, you're going to have to get a boat because you're going to have to step into it and put it out in the water. Here's a true story. There was a, a man named Dan. 
Dan's father owns and operates a deep sea fishing boat that tourists charter to experience the thrills of reeling in fish from the depths of the Gulf of Mexico. On his vacation, Dan agreed to take his father's place on the boat for a week. Dan would get some fresh air and his father would get some rest. On one trip out, the fishermen had let their lines down into the water when Dan noticed a school of dolphins had come alongside and were swimming in the boat's wake. He immediately shouted for the lines to be reeled in. To hook a dolphin was a nightmare situation for a charter boat captain since the mammal could be injured and even killed. The fishermen obeyed the order, hurriedly reeling in their lines, but it was too late. One of the dolphins had been snared. The dolphin dove deep, trying to get away from the hook, then came to the surface to relieve the pain. Time and again he dove, each time driving the hook deeper and deeper. After a long while, the dolphin was exhausted and simply swam next to the boat. Dan moved to the side of the boat, got next to him, and experienced one of the most amazing moments of his life. The dolphin moved closer to the boat and turned over on its side, exposing the lodged hook protruding from his mouth. Dan reached out and gently removed the hook. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? Like Dan, you've all got friends, friends in, uh, that are like that. Someone that just wants to know that you're in the boat with them. That's kind of like a D group. Someone who's willing and able to remove the hurting force destroying their lives. And as you love on your friends and, and as you tell them of the life that Christ can provide, the Holy Spirit begins to work on your friends. And they bring them to a place where only God can remove the hook. And when they hold out their hooks, their hurts and their needs, you need to be ready to share with them how God can change their life. Got one more story I want to share. And what you'll hear in this story is that our churches have more evangelistic trainings and conferences than ever before, but oftentimes to no avail. This story relates uh, to you bursting the Christian bubble, to reaching out to a lost and desperate world. It will be impossible to lighten a dark world if all you do is witness to those in here. Dr. Roy Fish has said, evangelizing in the church is like fishing in a bathtub. It's terribly convenient, but you don't catch much. <laughs> so here's the story. On the edge of a great sea, there once lived a group of fishermen. Week after week and year after year, these fishermen met together to talk about fishing. They talked about their call to fish. They talked about the abundance of fish in the sea. They talked about fishing as an occupation. And they talked about recruiting new fishermen. There was only one thing they didn't do. They didn't fish. The fishermen built large, beautiful buildings in which to hold their fishing meetings. And the cry went forth that everyone should be a fisherman. And that every fisherman should fish. There was only one thing they didn't do. They didn't fish. In addition to their regular meetings, the fishermen organized a committee. The committee was composed of those with great vision and courage for fishing. They spoke eloquently about fishing in the faraway seas, where many other fish of different colors lived. 
The committee hired staffs and appointed a board and held many meetings. They defined fishing. They defended fishing. They decided what fishing techniques should be used. The staff and committee discussed everything that could possibly be discussed about fishing. There was only one thing they didn't do. They didn't fish. A speaker's forum was established to allow special speakers to address the subject of fishing. After one stirring speech on the necessity of fishing, one young fellow left the meeting and went fishing. The next day, he reported that he had caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and was scheduled to visit all the big meetings to tell the other fishermen how he did it. He quit fishing in order to have time to tell about his experience. He was placed on the fisherman's committee as a person with considerable experience. <laughs> Many of the fishermen made admirable sacrifices in order to be fishermen. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish. Some received ridicule from those who made fun of their fishermen's meetings. They were often discouraged by those who felt there was little benefit in attending the talks about fishing. These many difficulties they endured because they followed their master who said, Follow me and I will make you fishermen. One day a passing pilgrim suggested that those who didn't fish weren't really fishermen. No matter how much they claimed to be. You can imagine how hurt they were. But it did sound faintly correct. Is a person really a fisherman if year after year he never catches a fish? See, when Jesus says to the members of his motley crew, his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, I think that Jesus is saying way more than meets the eye. Because I can't prove this, but I believe that Jesus was an excellent fisherman. After all, it was Jesus who told Andrew and Peter where they should let down their nets. And if you remember what happened, they didn't just catch one, but they caught two boatloads of fish. I think Jesus is telling his disciples, you and me, that we're going to do more than just catch men and women. I think he's saying in time, in patience, in practice, you're going to catch many men and women. And if you look at the influence of the original 12, if you look at the annals of Christianity, could you, you're not, could you yourself not say that, that you might have never been caught for Jesus if it wasn't for the faithful witness of the twelve. And so that's where I want to end today. Ricky, you, you can come on, come on up. I want, I want you to take some time to talk to Jesus. I want you to ask him, just between you and him, how well are you doing at catching men and women? And I also want you to ask him how well you are doing at making disciples. And perhaps... You're not making disciples because you yourself have never been discipled. That's where D groups come into play. That's why churches need them. So if you want to come down, you feel like God is leading you to respond to my call today to start a discipleship group, you can do that. You can come down and talk to Josh or I. If you want to wait and you just want to tell me in the hallway, that's fine too. Maybe you just want to come down to the altar today and just ask that God would make you a better fisherman. Maybe you just want to come down and ask 
if God would make you a better disciple maker. Now's, now's your time to do that. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.